The following is rated not safe for work. It contains strong language, adult situations, and lots and lots of spoilers. Discretion is advised. In the criminal justice system, cinematic-based offenses are considered especially heinous. The dedicated attorneys who investigate these villainous films are members of an elite squad known as the Reels of Justice. These are their stories. Order, please order. The reels of justice is now a session. Judge Big Ben Hassler presiding. Your eyes for the honorable Judge Hassler. Be seated. Welcome to the reels of justice. Today we're hearing the case of The People versus Spider-Man No Way Home, a 2021 superhero movie about Spider-Man dealing with the fallout of his exposed identity and the dangers of the multiverse. For those of you unfamiliar with our court proceedings, we're here to determine that this film is guilty of being a bad movie. As always in this courtroom, films are being considered excellent until proven awful, and the burden of proof lies upon the prosecution to prove beyond the shadow of reasonable doubt that this film is guilty. Mr. Thomas Green, you are representing the prosecution. You may present your opening statement. Judge, ladies and sidekicks of the jury, (laughs) we all love a walk down memory lane, looking at old photos and trading stories with friends and family. But why? We like to remember the journey taken, to discover new things about ourselves. We also like concrete world building, developed characters, and no stupid plot holes. Sadly, Sony didn't get the memo when they dumped No Way Home on us. Throughout this case, (laughs) I will show how this latest film got stuck in kill mode and failed as a film, an end of a trilogy, part of a franchise, and even as fan service. Thank you, Mr. Green. Appearing on the defense is Mr. Rob Maynard. You may present your opening statement. Thank you. Your Honor, esteemed members of the court, in lieu of an actual case today, I'm instead going to use my associate's degree in mystic arts that I received from the Des Moines Area Community College to conjure the runes of Rothraman, an ancient spell that will convince everyone in attendance today and everyone listening at home that Spider-Man No Way Home is not a bad movie. Here I go. Okay, going pretty well so far. But you know, while I'm at it, maybe I should just uh, actually make it so that the spell convinces you that No Way Home is not only not bad, it's actually that it's good. So let me make the proper adjustments here, and... Alright, it seems relatively stable. But honestly, why not just have it convince you No Way Home is the greatest MCU movie? I think that's fair to say. I'll just tweak this, and that. Okay, getting a little shakier here, but uh, I think it can still work. Uh, but you know, fuck it, we're all here anyway, so let's just dust it one last time and convince you No Way Home is the greatest film in the history of cinema, so I'll just- Whoa! Ah, the spell is becoming wildly unstable! I can't control it! This is well beyond the rather rudimentary education provided by the Des Moines Area Community College Department of Mystic Arts. I- I can't hold it! I have to- Okay! Oh. I think I was able to successfully contain the spell before it managed to rip open the fabric of space-time and bring a bunch of amusing multiversal variations of myself into the world. But I guess that means I'll just have to do this uh, the old-fashioned way. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Maynard. Um, And may I add, uh, introducing that your magic this late in the game is just about as lazy as when they did Ned in this movie. (laughs) And as such, we will move to the prosecution for your first exhibit. All right. So the first I want to talk about how this film fails as a solo film and the fact that our main character has become unbelievably stupid, (laughs) convinced that he can get into MIT during the middle of the crisis. But then once he doesn't convinced that fighting more villains won't continue to get him in the way it just got him reconsidered for it. He endangers his friends by constantly giving them the MacGuffin box of the movie And the biggest proof of all that this character is somehow an idiot is that he got all the way to senior year of high school and yet has a gigantic studying for your GED book at the end. Uh, Objection, Your Honor. Uh, He clearly buys the GED after he's wiped everyone's memory because since he can't attend high school anymore, since there's no memory of him, he now has to take the GED. Yes, but he was just a school for incredibly intelligent people. I imagine the GED would not be that difficult for him. He was going to a technical college. I, I don't think it'll all the same 
uh, criteria will be covered in the GED? Um, I'm going to overrule that objection. It was established that he was in a highly uh, sought after technical school uh, in the previous two films. GD's hard, Your Honor, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> For some people, I still yes. haven't hey. said I've tried four times. <laughs> I say you need one to get to Des Moines uh, Community College, there, right? <laughs> uh, you don't oh, actually. That's, that's why I went. <laughs> Order in my court, uh, Mr. Green. Uh, did you have more on this point? Uh, yeah, going on from this point is also the fact that this multiverse has absolutely no rules. Uh, we say that for some reason the spell can transcend reality without ever explaining why. We talk about all the universes it's brought in. By that it means two, where one of them didn't even know who Spider-Man was to begin with, yet still got brought in on this people who know who Spider-Man is thing. And we never establish if they need to be together or if they can just be wherever they want for the button to be hit because if you could just hit that the button on the box and make them all go away there's not much of a need to collect them outside of dragging out the runtime to compete with avatar <laughs> objection uh, yeah objection. I, would like to, I would like to pass that to the defense no you don't need to object i'm passing it to you i i, I am curious <laughs> about this point about two universes being pulled in rather than infinite well one i would disagree First off, the spell is going out of control. It has not completely gotten there. So theoretically, if Doctor Strange didn't contain it, it would have kept going to all universes and pulling in everyone who would have possibly ever known Peter Parker into Strange's universe to then wipe their mind. He stops it before it, you know, it's like the progress bar on your computer. It gets to like 4% and he stops it. So it did something. Um, it just didn't get to go all the way. I also would like to say there's no proof that this is just two universes because, as the prosecution said, within the Amazing Spider-Man 2 universe, Electro does not know Spider-Man is Peter Parker. He doesn't even know who Peter Parker is. And he's also like bl glowing blue and electric. Therefore, we can assume that the Jamie Foxx we see is not the Jamie Foxx Electro of Amazing Spider-Man 2. He is from another universe where Andrew Garfield is still Spider-Man. But where Electro knows who Peter Parker is, knows Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and doesn't glow blue. So it's well, no, at least uh, a question no, third universe. Is, is, this your, I, is this your supposition that the writers intended this or that it's accidental and you're sort of retconning it? We know that the spell pulls in people who know Peter Parker. And we know that Jamie Foxx doesn't know Peter Parker in Spider-Man 2. Therefore, it is very safe to assume that the Jamie Foxx we see is a different Electro from the one from the movie. You're saying this was intentional by the writers. They knew this. Yes. I can prove without, okay. I can prove from within the movie though, that it is the same Electro. He starts off blue and then we do a throwaway line to explain that the energy is different here for why he turns yellow. And then we specifically have the bad joke moment after he's been stopped where he talks to Andrew Garfield and he can, and he, muses on the fact that he thought Spider-Man was black. Yeah, because I assume so he's he, never had a conversation with unmasked Spider-Man before. Yeah, but then that he's never, he doesn't know Peter Parker then. Well, uh, uh, you're contradicting yourself. Wouldn't he uh, know who Spider-Man is to be pulled into this universe? So then he would know that he's not black. Yep. But he'd never had a conversation with him about being surprised that he's not black. He knows he's Peter Parker. He knows he's Peter Parker. He must be pulled in by the spell. Yes. It's it's a very clear in that moment realization, though. I don't he know about say, that. I always thought, you, you know, he doesn't. It, it, it's very confined to this. Because he's Plus, not surprised when he sees him at the time. You know, it's kind of just matter of factly after the point. Like, you know, I, I just kind of always thought Spider-Man would be black, he says. Probably because that's the first conversation okay. he ever got to have with him about it. So, I'm going to let the jury chew on this, although yeah. I do think that the facts do speak for themselves in this regard. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Green, uh, did you have another exhibit? biased, but all um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to, to go into, you know, the film fails as a franchise because nothing within the the MCU has progressed story-wise. This, this movie isn't even the reason why we deal with the multiverse in Doctor Strange 2. And there's no expansion of the world, unlike especially everything else in phase four, at least 
not even going into the other phases, there are no new characters introduced. There's no, there's no expansion of the world as we know it in terms of the characters and the people and the places. This film is just very, it's focused on things that aren't even part of the MCU instead of expanding on it. Objection. One, uh, as far as uh, Doctor Strange not capitalizing it, I, I hold Doctor Strange accountable for that. It's It was the sequel. It was the follow-up. It should have built on the ground that was ahead of it. It chose not to boo on Doctor Strange. Uh, but lots change here for Spider-Man in the very simple fact that at the beginning of the movie, which was set up from Far From Home, Everyone knows who that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. That is the universe that exists. At the end of the movie, now no one knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man, including the other Avengers, and most importantly, including MJ and Ned and all the other friends that Peter Parker had had. So it's sort of his saying goodbye to the homecoming, far from home friendship that he had had to moving to being more adult, mature Spider-Man. The the small world end. Mary Jane's or uh, and Aunt May is Ted. So a ton changes for just Tom Holland, Peter Parker. There's a lot of a, a story that happens here where he goes from having a very bad thing where his identity is revealed to at the end of this movie having no Aunt May, no support system at all, uh, a Spider Man all on his own. That was the longest objection I've ever heard, but I will sustain That's that so objection. Much, no, this Peter Parker just does bias. Right? You're a judge. <laughs> I, no, just to show I'm not biased, I am sustaining that objection. You, you Peter Parker does have a, a journey in this film. Uh, but again, we'll let the jury decide uh, whether or not that makes it good, uh, the journey that he experiences. Um, Mr. Green, uh, any further exhibits? Yes. Uh, I want to go into how it fails. As, uh, it fails as the end of a trilogy and the fact that it abandons the theme of the trilogy the trilogy uh, which is you know having you know the having of a mentor the 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 need of a mentorship it completely abandons that entire theme and concept um so that way this movie kind of drifts without any sort of connective tissue to the previous films in that regard uh with the exception of spider-man kind of and the fact that may dies there isn't a single character who isn't the same at the end of the movie as they are at the start. And then most importantly, the big cliffhanger from the end of the last movie that was supposed to propel this movie gets solved in the first eight minutes of this two and a half hour film within eight minutes. Daredevil shows up and says, yeah, you're good. People are still not going <laughs> to like you, but you're good. It's all done. It's all taken care of. There's proof that you, you know, there's, proof that we haven't proved was doctored that you murdered somebody but yeah you're totally okay and then it doesn't even matter what the court of public opinion is from that point on outside of not getting an M mit which is almost immediately resolved itself i mean spider-man's okay. clearly uh, mr maynard is this a hard left turn he's clearly uh, well okay let's start with that point what i do like about this film is it goes to a a continued spider-man theme which is important is that spider-man loses someone incredibly important to himself and blames himself we hadn't seen that before um you know toby mcguire gets that point almost immediately with uncle ben in the first spider-man movie uh in many ways andrew garfield kind of has to wait to the end of his second movie uh with gwen stacy for it to happen uh, but here we have to wait for the third movie for Tom Holland because he can't he can't really blame himself for what happens to Tony Stark or really anyone else. But with Aunt May, he finally has something that he puts on himself. It's his fault that this happens to Aunt May. Um, he blames himself entirely for trusting uh, Norman Osborn too much. That's a Spider-Man theme. He has to go through that loss to learn that great responsibility comes with great power he's got to get that speech finally that finally comes full circle for him it's interesting that it happens at a different point for all three of these characters and and the fact that they can all meet with each other to discuss it i think is is one of the better moments of this film uh prosecution do you have a rebuttal yeah i would just say for that is it, it sure he gets that he gets that speech and then and he learns that lesson well, he gets that speech, proceeds to be determined that he's going to kill Green Goblin, not showing great responsibility with the power, then gets interrupted by the, now that's what I call Spider-Man sequence of the movie, uh, where he <laughs> stops caring that Aunt May is dead pretty much completely until Green Goblin magically reappears 
during the final fight. And he goes right back to, I have this power. I'm going to use it to kill him after he's been, I'm going to fix these people because sending them back to the moment they died without their powers is a really responsible idea. So (laughs) it's, Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a nice sentiment to go back to that well of with great power comes great responsibility. But I would argue that we already had that moment in homecoming with Tony Stark when he's talking about, you know, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. We already had his version of it. We already had this Spider-Man's version of it in his first movie with that moment that led to him having to do that third act of that film without the fancy suit. And I believe they alluded to it in uh, Civil War, did they not? Well, in in Civ- Civil War takes place before Homecoming. Right, uh, but um, when Tony tar- starts recruiting him, uh, he says, why do you want to do this? He's oh, like, because yeah. if you don't do something, exactly, um, then you're helping them. Because they didn't want to rehash the origin yeah. story. If something bad happens and you had the ability to stop it, then it's your fault. He's already been to this ground before. We've already tread this water, and we've already tread it better than we did in this film. We just threw in the with great power comes great responsibility thing haphazardly as, as a rebuttal. So as a, I mean, for the mentoring thing, the lack of the importance of mentoring, what about this? What if this movie had had miles Morales and the third movie, we go (laughs) cars three, he has to become the mentor. But in many ways, Toby and says it at the end objection in many ways, Toby and Andrew are the mentors in this film. They're, they're teaching uh, Tom Holland how to deal with this loss because they've gone through it before. And he now has to again. And uh, yes, Spider-Man's been taught uh, like with great, not really with great power, but that he has a responsibility to help out. But Spider-Man's always been sort of tied up with a bit of grief, kind of similar to Batman. Spider-Man loses someone very important to himself, and he blames himself. And that's an important part of Spider-Man's character. We don't know how Marissa Tomei's Uncle Ben died. We are fairly certain there is an Uncle Ben, um, but we don't know anything about it. It's never gone into. Seemingly, it's not Peter's fault at all. Um, and, and again, that's just kind of par for the course as part of Spider-Man's character makeup is that someone important is lost and he blames himself. That's part of what drives him okay. and motivates him. Um, I, I think we'll let the jury uh, sit on the great <laughs> power responsibility. I, I so would like um, to touch on, I think it's a very difficult thing where yes, he's just lost Aunt May, but then he's just met two universe treading Spider-Man who have such unique experiences experiences to themselves but that have a similarity to him so i think he's kind of stuck between yes it's tragic what happened to aunt may but like this is a once lime and once in a lifetime opportunity where he's meeting these people who who have this common journey with him um that yeah seemingly for some moments he forgets his sorrow and gets caught up in that camaraderie and I would I would say that yeah I can certainly believe that seeing two other Spider-Man would shock him into uh, stepping away from his grief for a moment if we hadn't spent 50 million plays of the trailer in theaters and then the movie itself with him <laughs> laughing at Doc Ock because of his name. We've already funny. shown that he's really not overwhelmed or all that impressed by the concept of these multiversal people. Well, I don't I think he is less overwhelmed with the fact that they've traveled other universes and more in the case of the Spider-Man that there are other Spider-Men who have such similarities to him. Uh, Mr. Green, did you have any further exhibits? Uh, the, the, my very last one, I probably, I, I over-prepared, I think. <laughs> um, no such oh, thing. You could never <laughs> over-prepare in this courtroom. Uh, the, the last thing I just want to say is just on how it fails as fan service in the fact that beyond the fact that we, the, all the villains are, are completely wasted, both for the actors and for the characters themselves. None of them are are different. Sandman yo-yos and his, his, his motivation is based entirely off of whether or not they need him to help or attack for the plot. Um, and Dudley Do-Right was a more dignified performance for Alfred Molina than this film. Um, all of these characters brought in from the Sony films, they live only in their own films. We, we could have had great opportunity in getting to really learn what happened to these characters 
after the movies, especially since people have always wanted a fourth Toby Spider-Man or a third Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Well, they wanted it once they knew he was going to be in this movie. Then suddenly we love those movies. But um, <laughs> but we had this great chance to, you know, find out like, you know, oh, Toby Spider-Man has been having struggling to find the balance now that he has a kid or, you know, more than just a throwaway line from Andrew Garfield claiming they didn't pull his punches anymore, except for the fact that he spends the, almost the, you know, the entirety of the film, he's either about to cry or making a joke. So he doesn't really seem like somebody who's punching people so hard he could kill them. Um, so they're just these characters that were, were just doing the greatest hits of them instead of actually using them in a legacy film standpoint to really enjoy them and enjoy continuing their journeys. They are just as they were when we last saw them. Okay. Uh, Mr. Maynard, uh, do these arcs continue from their previous films? I think they do. Um, you know, in, in reference to Andrew Garfield, who says he's not pulling punches. We don't exactly know when he's, he's saying he doesn't pull those punches in relation. He's, he's saying that's what, how he felt after Gwen Stacy's death. But the Andrew Garfield that is pulled through the portal is clearly aged. He's he's 10 years older. He's had 10 years to to be angry, to come to terms with it and to move to a different place. And so, yes, he he is still able to joke around one. I think Spider-Man is a character who, similar to Deadpool, is always joking around no matter how hurt or 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 injured he is. It's one, it's his defense mechanism. He's always making jokes. Um, so I, I think that's one of the strengths that Andrew Garfield really shows in this movie. There are some jokes he gets to make in his own films, but in this one, he really gets to show that he can be very wounded and then still comical in another moment. Um, so I think things do change. We know Toby is obviously doing something where he gets to actually be with Mary Jane at some end of, of the world. Uh, we don't really know what's happened, but clearly another 10 years has passed. So he has aged. Um, as far as the other characters, Gobby, um, Doc Ock, if in fact these are the characters that came from those movies, Doc Ock is questionable um, because he, by the time he dies in Spider-Man 2, he's kind of redeemed himself. So there's a very good chance this is a totally different Doc Ock who didn't do that um, and has never been snapped clear. So we don't know exactly what universe it comes from. It may not be the one from two. Um, so in terms of them, though, if they are pulled in just before they died, nothing has happened to them since the end of Spider-Man one or two, because they've been dead. So their last I, memories are the final scenes of Spider-Man one and two. There was no growth for them to have. I apologize. But yes. I, I did arcs from those movies. I do think they continue some arc, especially if you look at doc Ock, where he, I do think it's a different version from actual Spider-Man 2 because he he dies at the end of Spider-Man 2 redeeming himself. He, he says, I refuse to die a monster. That's his final line in 2. And so, and that's when he learns that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. At that very moment, right before that, he's already had a change of heart by the time he knows it's Peter. So there's a very small window that he could be plucked from. So I do think it's a doc from a different universe. But he clearly, the man inside who's not controlled by the arms wants to not die a monster and wants to turn the corner and, and change. Um, goblin. Uh, we never really get to see past the veil of the goblin back to Norman Osborn. At a certain point, we see him cowering in fear. Like he's the victim of the goblin in one. And I think that's what we continue to see in this film. So it's not real. It's so the beat that we see is his cure at the end where he's finally released but also gets to know, you know, I'm doing things I don't want to do. And what have I done? We're seeing that Norman Osborn, who's been a victim of the terror of the Green Goblin as much as anyone else has. I think that's also continued in this story. Well, I, I will say I did. I, I I didn't speak clearly. I did specifically mean with our Spider-Man that we mm. that we had um, not seen their growth. But you do bring up the good point of if we're going to as the audience fill in the blanks for the movie and create alternate universes for all these villains to have lived in. It would have been great when they were all standing around making jokes about <laughs> being in a sorcerer's dungeon. If they could have also talked about their adventures and we could have had the movie confirmed for us. Oh, these aren't even the same. We don't even know what these guys are capable of. They given... don't talk much about their adventures since 
sense they're movies because a lot of those scenes are improvised by the actors. They're they're not written. So the actors are kind of recanting their stories that they remember. Who needs writers right? from the movies? Yeah. I mean, but that's what's so great is they, that those characters feel so lived in by those performers that they feel comfortable improvising the history of Peter Parker as Andrew Garfield knows it. And, you know, and feel comfortable that they can just then rip off riff off Toby, who's also comfortable with just sort of rim shotting about his history as Spider-Man. Uh, they know their characters uncomfortable enough to to improv. It doesn't contradict the history at all. Um, yes, we are filling in a lot of blanks here. But and I do think this is a nice safety blanket that the, that the writers have. It's this multiverse. There's literally an infinite number of these things. And really the odds that we're plucking all these characters from the exact universes that the Sony movies are from are actually really low. So there's a very good chance that we're looking at another lizard where like from the universe where it's still Reese uh, I fans, but and Andrew Garfield, but clearly in a whole different world because i mean we know the lizard's cured at the end uh of that movie he doesn't die so he could get sent back and uh, nothing bad's gonna happen to him yeah but i mean as you've done you've you've referenced their films you know talking within their films when it comes to the villains they they still could have we could have you know had writers um obviously (laughs) that's that's the first step to making a better movie um (laughs) But we still could have had some some talk and bragging to each other about their exploits and what they've managed, the chaos they've managed to cause before getting to the point they were in. And the definitiveness of right before they died as being when they got sucked out from their own accounts. I I, I think we are getting um, we are getting characters here from these other movies that are very true to their character at the time um electro is very much the same character even says he's a he's a loser at that time and so it's very much like his uh character in amazing spider-man 2 but they decide to not make him blue and glowy because jamie fox looks cooler not that way so yeah you polish some (laughs) of the rough edges that those films there's a reason those that like amazing spider-man 2 is not a movie really anyone likes so why should this movie fall into the same failings and trappings of those movies when they can do them again better differently under the nice safety blanket of going well multiverses say you don't know which ones we pulled from why go back to um, why go process- back to the wall at all? Uh, because the amazing, overwhelming popularity of Into the Spider Verse made people go, "I want to see a live action with multiple Spider Man." And if you ha- want a live action with multiple Spider Man, how do you not do it with the two Spider Men that already have film franchises, uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield? And if you're gonna do that, um, you know. This franchise already in the MCU was already building towards a Sinister Six type thing where Spider-Man is going to have to fight a large group of villains. Why recast Doc Ock? Why recast uh, Goblin? Why recast all these people when all these actors are still alive? People really like them. Uh, Some of their movies were questionable. Why not give them a second chance to come back in this movie, redo the part, and make a great... uh, kind of multiverse Spider-Man story where multiple Spider-Man have to fight a group of villains. Uh, Prosecution, did you want to rest on the multiverse point or did you have a further exhibit? Um, no, just to just a really quick rebuttal with what he says, with, with what he just said. The thing that would be, you know, cooler than that is, I mean, if we're really about doing a multiverse thing, let's, hey, Neil Patrick Harris was very popular for a while as the voice in an animated version. Why not bring him in to be a li- another live action Spider-Man? Why don't we bring in some others? If we're going to do the Sinister Six that we were building up to, let's include some of those characters that we had, like the Scorpion, the great mm-hmm. actor who plays Scorpion, who's sitting in the corner, kicking, you know, kicking around with Dylan Baker, still waiting for his chance to play Lizard. Um, we had <laughs> all these ingredients there, including Kevin Feige and um, the director, whose name I'm spacing on at the moment, both saying they never wanted to ever do characters that um sony had done for villains they never wanted to do any of them on the live screen because they wanted to show characters that hadn't gotten their dues this really was just sony when they did their renegotiation contract 
wanting to make sure that the nostalgia was still there so people would stop demanding they give Spider-Man back. This whole movie was to try to make everyone remember the good times so that way people would stop asking for them to give up Spidey. And on that, the prosecution will rest? Yeah, he does indeed. All right. Mr. Bings, uh, do you have any exhibits in defense of the film? I do, I do. We've talked a lot about it. One, I'd like to say member berries are popular because some member berries are very delicious. Uh, and I think this is a delicious member berry. Um, but it is member berries, no doubt. This is carried heavily by nostalgia, but it's it's a warm, comforting nostalgia. Um, I think this movie is about two really important things, reunion and redemption. So let's start with redemption. It centers around a plot of redemption for several characters. Obviously, all the villains are eventually cured throughout, um, especially Doc Ock gets that great opportunity to basically play hero when he disarms Electro and once again, not die the monster that he was afraid he would in Spider-Man 2. So but everyone kind of has a little redemption arc, including the Spider-Man. You know, for Toby, it's being able to possibly cure people that were friends of his who had turned evil really against their will uh, and uh, that he probably could have done more for in his universe. For Andrew Garfield, not only does he get to cure Electro and Lizard, but more importantly, he gets the redo on the death of Gwen Stacy, where he saves Holland's MJ from falling to her own death that parallels the Gwen scene. That's a really wonderful moment in this movie, and Garfield plays it to the nines. And like the prosecution said, if Andrew Garfield wasn't over before this movie, this movie really got him over. For Holland, he blames himself when within the arc of this film for Aunt May's death because he gave the Goblin the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and much like the other two Spider-Men who blame themselves uh, for the death of their own loved ones, um, they're able to come together and help guide him and help impart wisdom to him about healing and not blaming themselves for the parts that they played in those tragedies. Mr. Green, are you swayed? <laughs> not really. I mean, it's, I mean, we're, we're t- like, you know, oh, we get to redeem, um, you know, we get to redeem Toby Maguire by having him cure Green Goblin. That's that's fine. We still get um, Harry in Spider-Man 3 because, again, Norman's going to go back in time. If it's right before their death, he's going to come right back in time, give that little O line, and then take a glider to the gut. Um, so <laughs> James Franco is still going to take time away from being in seven different college lawsuits to try <laughs> to take down Spider-Man. Um, we're just re- we're redoing the redemption of Doc Ock. Um Andrew Garfield can feel redeemed all he wants. They save this Mary Jane. There's still a crack in the floor of that clock tower when he gets back. Um, (laughs) That's not going to change anything. Um, There's only so much redemption actually happening uh, in this film outside of warm fuzzies that you get to feel for a moment as long as you're not thinking about them too much. They're not ones that would continue on in all reality not to nitpick Uh, too much but if these characters do go back to their own branch of the universe that that's arguing that they don't go back and create a whole new branch where yes there's a branch where osborne dies but now there's a branch where he comes back and not having as much hate and anger in his heart for toby mcguire actually thinks about his own self-preservation and uses his incredible physical abilities to be able to dive out of the way of the glider it's possible um uh but again that's that's maybe it is but what's certainly important is the redemption here that uh especially even exclusive to tom holland is that he doesn't have to kill everything that gets in his way there are other ways around his villains to find solutions and so even if some of these characters do go back and die it's not that it's not an important lesson just for tom holland to know that he should show compassion and try his best well, he he wasn't killing his villains before. He he tried to save, you know, well, not tried. He did save Vulture from getting himself killed and wasn't able to save Quentin from getting himself shot with the drones. But by no means was he trying to, um, was he trying to kill him? He was just trying he to killed, stop he, him. He killed the Ebon Maw in Infinity War. He shot him right out into space. And that man had a family. Oh, whole Evan <laughs> family man well well Aha. 
Checkmate. Wasn't that Iron Man shooting a missile at the side of the spaceship? It was all Spider-Man's idea, I remember. He was like, remember that really old movie, Alien? He did it. And and finally, I also want to talk about Reunion. Uh, the movie is about reunions, not just between the characters at several points, but between us, the audience, and those characters. And the prosecution might call it member berries. Um, but the way that all these characters are able to come back together... There's a lot of camaraderie you can feel, uh, especially considering the fact that a lot of those scenes were improvised. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think really speaks to how well uh, they know their characters. Um, and and lastly, last thing before I rest, um, you know, this movie came out in December of 2021 and wound up being the highest grossing box office movie since the pandemic started. And a lot of people were not eager to go back to theaters, even as the world was opening up. But the hype and excitement around this film, the rumors about the cameos, which didn't even end up being cameos. I think if, if we all got Green Goblin, like to Willem Dafoe cameos, we'd have been happy. But we didn't. He's a full-on supporting character in this movie. Um, you know, this was such a special moment that people didn't want to wait to see it at home. You know, like they wanted to do a Tenet. You know, they wanted to be in theaters to see this. It was an event. It was the first movie that got me back out in theaters. I think that's true for a lot of people. And that's why it made more than double the domestic box office of any other movie that year. And only other MCU movies even came close. So as far as a reunion, this movie reunited us with seeing movies in the theater. Uh, It was the first step and... You know, many of us are still cautious about going out, but No Way Home was that first step out the door. Uh, and with that, I'm in arrest. All right. Both sides have rested their cases. The attorneys will now present their closing arguments. Mr. Green, you may begin. True believers, or at least true representations of humans, I hope that you now see the danger of accepting the lazy when it comes to legacy films. That we should expect more from expensive films like this, or at least or at the least to be as competent as a Doctor Who anniversary special. There is nothing wrong with fan service or returning to the well as long as you make sure the well isn't empty. Please help to convict this film before any more Sony spinoff films are announced. If we are going to ask for more from these franchises, let's prove we mean it. Thank you, Mr. Green. Mr. Bangs, you may present your closing argument. And please, no magic. I'm sorry. I can't promise that. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) Esteemed members of the court, Spider-Man No Way Home. Wait, what's that? Oh no, it's the fabric of time and space tearing asunder and allowing a bunch of multiversal versions of myself into our universe. Oh no. Hey all, I'm Sad Rob. A version of Rob from a universe where everything is essentially the same except everyone is really sad. I wanted to ask you all to vote No Way Home Not Guilty because seeing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back on the big screen as Spider-Man was the only thing that brought me a little joy in the otherwise very sad pandemic existence. So please vote not guilty. Yeah, I'm Cowboy Rob from a world where everyone's a cowboy. You varmints better vote No Way Home Not Guilty or I'll tan your hides and send you to the gallows. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Cool Rob. Hey, hey, wait, actually, I think I'm already pretty cool. Not as cool as me, Cool Rob. I like to skateboard and do a lot of drugs, bro. Okay, I don't even know if that stuff's still cool in your third. Hello, my name is Unstupid Rob. Wait, wait, excuse me. <laughs> and I'm not Ugly Rob. Hey, wait a minute. And I'm Rob from a world where he doesn't get turbulent diarrhea whenever he gets nervous. Okay, wait, stop. Stop, that's enough. I have to close this rift and send all these embarrassing and somewhat insulting words to myself back to where they came from! Okay, I just cast a new spell that made you forget about everything we talked about today, especially that diarrhea thing. So you'll have to vote No Way Home not guilty because you can't even remember the prosecution or the defense or having seen No Way Home at all. And since films are innocent until proven guilty, case dismissed. Uh, no, we have a stenographer who's recorded this whole thing, I'm afraid. So even <laughs> if I don't remember, I can still read the script. Clickety-clackety-clickety-clackety. <laughs> and uh, seeing a bunch of Maynards is as strong an indictment against seeing a multiverse film ever again as I can think. Uh, but both members have rested their cases. Uh, the jurors may now deliberate. Mr. Jill and Jay Slender, Mr. Big Ben Hassler, and Mr. With Great Power Comes Great Ryan Luis Rodriguez. You've all heard the facts concerning this case. It is now up to you to determine if the film is guilty of being a bad movie. 
The bailiff will escort you to the deliberation room to render your verdict. You suppose Spider-Man prefers web series to TV shows? Oh, jeez. Hey, I'm cool, Rob. I really like that joke. <laughs> yeah, you. Hey, I don't cool, remember Rob. there ever being a multiverse of Rob. <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, okay, everyone. That makes me the foreman. I'm in charge, and I thought we had a very interesting case today. I think uh, we had a very competent prosecution, and I think Maynard did a very good job on defense. And uh, I think really what it comes down to are kind of some of those uh, more meta points that they were talking about, you know, like Maynard fully acknowledged the member berries and uh, Thomas pointed out how, you know, like leaning on just these characters, just the fact that they exist, you know, talking about like the improv and the lack of writing and stuff like hurt it. So I'd be interested to what you have to say there, uh, Ryan Luis Rodriguez. Uh, This is easily the weakest of the trilogy. But that said, I have a lot of fun with it, especially the three Spider-Man interacting, because I'm not nostalgic for Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield. I'm just not. But when I get to see to be nostalgic for there's enough time to be nostalgic for Tobey Maguire, perhaps maybe not Andrew Garfield, because it's only been I mean, we're only eight years away at this point. But I love seeing the three of them interact and just get to get to have their little personal in jokes. Like when uh, Tom Holland says that he's part of the Avengers and they both nod their heads like they know what that is. And then one of them asks if if, if that's a band. (laughs) I enjoy that stuff to an absurd degree. So so much so that I'm willing to forgive a lot of the things that rub me the wrong way about this film, which there are plenty. Uh, What would be the most prominent thing that rubbed you the wrong way? I, you know, that's a really tough one. Um, I guess the the structure of the story is kind of haphazard, and it really it shows its its age as it as it goes on. Like, there's no need for this movie to be two and a half hours long. That's ridiculously excessive. But I think that it, it provides enough simple pleasures that I'm able to overlook the stuff that I really dislike about the movie. And and it's not so much that I really dislike stuff about it, but that there is stuff about it that I find uh, not intensely mediocre, but certainly mediocre. Uh, anything that Thomas said in particular uh, in his prosecution that would. Uh, yeah, that uh, that nobody really grows. I think that's mm-hmm. a completely valid point, but at the same time, I don't necessarily, I mean, Because Peter Parker uh, 616, the one that we have here, I think that he grows, especially now that he doesn't have a support structure. Uh, But it's a fair point to make that these characters are essentially in a a holding pattern that they were in the last time we saw them. Yeah, I would have liked to have learned a little more about what's been going on, like especially with like Tobey Maguire, you know, like what he says, like, you know, I'm doing better. It's like that would be interesting. (laughs) I I would be interested. So uh, Big Ben. Uh, I don't know if you heard that judge out there, but he really seemed to have it in for this movie. Do you feel the same way the judge did? Oh, I thought he was very fair and balanced. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. No, he but wasn't. I must no, have he wasn't. A different case. <laughs> we know you're an avid multiverse hater. We know this. Yes. No, I've said it before. Uh, well, I, I don't hate the multiverse. Like, I like sliders. I like, uh, you know, things that do it correctly. I don't like it when it's a lazy way to get your IPs into your current thing just for that sort of fanboy moment. Which is what this is, uh, because there's so many, as the prosecution pointed out, like filling in the blanks that you kind of have to do to make any of this make sense. Uh, like like Electro, like you should know Peter Parker, Spider-Man, but to fill it, to make it make sense in this universe, you have to sort of invent more backstories. Uh, same with Doc Ock and all these people. It's not as from a writing perspective. I'm all about narrative. It's not tight. You know, they didn't think about all the loose ends that they're creating uh, with this story it's just all about like how can we get uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock in here and for John Q public it seems to work but for me I'm always sitting there continually asking questions about how this happened do you think maybe you have to so I, I thought I found it very interesting that as part of Maynard's defense he just leaned completely into like yes it's member berries but that's a good thing do you, do you think that maybe there is a spot for good member berries if the script that that brought these people back made sense then i would be on board but it doesn't Mm. 
Okay. How about you, Ryan? Just member Barry's writ large, kind of one of the more meta points that they both brought up. Uh, I, I'll be completely honest. I don't even know what a member Barry is. Uh, it's a reference to South Park. It's these little berries like, oh, I remember. And they'll say all these things happened in the past. You know, I think it came to prominence with the new Star Wars trilogy because it leaned so heavily on the original trilogy. I so don't the have... idea. Is like, it's kind of like nostalgia for its own sake. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings either way on that. I think that uh, fan service, when done well, can be very satisfying. And I think that just the fact that you have these three versions of this character on screen at the same time uh, commiserating and, and kind of just shooting the shit. I find that to be the most interesting stuff in the entire film. Like you could get rid of the villains entirely and just have a movie where for two hours and change, you have the three Spider-Man just sitting around, I don't know, swinging off the, off the Brooklyn bridge and just hanging out, just being dudes. I'd be okay with that. Well, I don't know if I'd want to see them just hang out, but you could have definitely done a movie where the three of them are working with Tom Holland, resolving his identity crisis for sure. So you could do a movie without the villains, I suppose. But that didn't really come up in the case. Um, so anyway, I guess one of the things I wanted to say when it came to the case is I thought when uh, Thomas brought up this uh, thread through all three movies, uh, first of all, I think this movie stands pretty well by itself. But that thread of mentorship, through all three movies, I do think we see Tom Holland get a lot of mentorship, but you know, he's, he's a kid and kids are stupid. So that's why he needs to keep relearning these lessons. And then obviously I think the biggest thing at the end is just that he's got two other Spider-Men that he's learning from now. And ironically, by them being together, he's going to learn how to function as Spider-Man alone. So I, I thought it hit the nail on the head. So I, I, I think I know which direction I'm leaning, but I'm the foreman, and I would like to lock in a Big Ben first. Um, it is a 50-50 movie for me. Uh, I do think, like, the Spider-Men together makes... that That's okay. I mean, I do like the Andrew Garfield saving MJ, and I, I do like some of the... Uh, the moments that they do have together, but the villains aren't well thought out. I do agree with that point. And the multiverse isn't well thought out from a narrative perspective. So um, I just, those are the points listed. I do have other reasons why I think that this film sort of falters, but uh, they weren't um, brought up in the case, but I think it's enough to say guilty. All right. Ryan Luis Rodriguez. Uh, Not enough to say guilty. Uh, not enough for me to say that I love this movie, but I do enjoy what I enjoy in it. And I've seen the movie twice. That is not uh, dissipated. Maybe it'll dissipate uh, in the future. I don't know. Uh, but as as it currently stands, this is a not guilty for me. All right. It all comes down to me. And look, there were a lot of valid points brought up by the prosecution, but it's like, is that enough? to sink it when the movie does so much right so much of the fun stuff that Maynard uh brought up and not trying to sugarcoat the fact that yeah there is going to be that meta element of all this nostalgia so I appreciate leaning into that acknowledging that and I'll be honest I liked it so I'm going not guilty Uh, I'm sorry you have to go by the facts in the case (laughs) I did go by the facts in the case I'm sorry it's it was it was good points all around but at, at the end of the day we have a very high burden of guilt and I just don't think a movie that has three Spider-Men being bros uh, gets there when the defense is willing to acknowledge that one deficiency of like, yes, it is about member berries, but these do taste sweet. So let's get out there and tell that very <laughs> handsome judge. Mr. Foreman, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. In the case of the people versus Spider-Man No Way Home, we find the defendant... Not guilty of being a bad movie. He doesn't exist. You can't do that. <laughs> I sent Rob I back to my universe and Cowboy Rob is here to stay. Cowboy Rob actually annoys me less. Uh, maybe uh, he'll so be friends. friends this this, this is what you guys have wrought. I just... <laughs> yeah, I know. The wealth and fame Spidey is ignored. The filmmakers are allowed to collect their dues. Court is adjourned. <laughs> This is Mumbly Mumberson reporting to you from outside the reels of justice. Mr. Thomas Green, would you care to share your thoughts on the jury's verdict? He asked as if he cares. Uh, I, I knew this was going to be a hard one to sell, despite uh, Ayn Rand's size book of, of notes and points. Uh, it's just too much to 
to, to organize in the end. Unfortunately, I will have to mourn this, this loss as much as I have to mourn the chance of having any of these actors play other characters in the MCU now. Yeah, blame your notes. That's how it works. And here comes Maynard Bangs, you <laughs> jerk. Excuse me, can we get a word on how you feel about the jury's verdict? Well, thanks for your kind words, Mumbly. Um, I'm actually dreamwalking from the other universe where Cowboy Rob sent me, but I'm now possessing Cowboy Rob, so I can talk to you totally normally. Um, uh, I love. I actually do love this movie, and I did n- uh, yes, a shit ton of it doesn't make sense. I've been trying to figure out how any of that spell magic works. I've watched every YouTube video; none of it makes any fucking sense. And it is all just a bad excuse to get our favorite actors to reprise their roles and fit into the script. Well, uh, it, I, I like everything about this movie, and it's it's the cheapest of of uh, hollow enjoyments. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, I'm happy I was able to do this, and um, and uh, Cowboy Rob will be back any moment. Oh God, no! Please, no! That's all we have from the courthouse today. Let's go back to the studio for post trial analysis. I'm going to go get high. No, uh, put that gun no. down, Jesus! Cowboy oh Rob, go God. away! I don't like it. I don't know if anyone else heard it shoot or not. Maybe they didn't. I I I think I did. Oh, okay. Very and I'm good. back, everyone. Oh, good. Jesus. Uh, actually, no. This one. is still Cowboy Rob, but I just attended a couple of semesters at the Des Moines Area Community College for English. Oh, so I, good. Yeah, so I lost my whole accent and uh, love for all that is wild and untamed. Um, uh, a fun case, Thomas. I think you did a great job. I think, um, yeah, this was an intimidating case for defense because, yeah, none of that magic makes it really doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, yeah, and but I, it's I magic. Mean, Does it yes. really have to make sense? It's fucking well, magic. It that was my rules. ace in the hole. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, like the ending. I don't think it makes sense why making people forget who Tom Holland is would close the rifts in the multiverse. It's like those multiverse people don't know. Tom Holland is Spider Man. They know a different yeah. Peter Parker is Spider Man. It, it really doesn't make <laughs> how, sense. How can he? How can he get an apartment? You know, the no no ability to do a background check. I mean, there's just well, well no, he, they don't remember him. It's not that he doesn't exist. Yeah. And his that's documents also are not actually no, they don't. erased, but nobody remembers him. So, like, imagine you're a teacher at his school and you're pulling up records about this guy kid who was supposed to be there for four years and no one remembers him. I, I think you might just throw them out. Maybe they think it's like that one more day arc in the comic books. It's just stupid. It's like, oh, we wrote ourselves into a corner uh, and we need to have this guy like have more adventures. And yet we want everyone in the city to hate him like he normally is. But we, you know, have done all this Avenger crap. So we just need to sort of wipe the board. They they will just assume he never came back from the Thanos snap when they reverse it. They'd be like, oh, this guy, no one remembers him. Uh, He must have not come back. It's the one guy. Yeah, the one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like, what about all the people who were in airplanes? Okay, let's not dwell on this. Like, uh, well, like they, some people I, were coming back and they were going to get hit by cars. That's all I'm saying. Well, and I think they've at least done, made an effort to explain that instead of going, uh, YouTubers, you figure it out. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's it was magic. Magic isn't real. Right. Get over it, people. No. <laughs> So um, Thomas, we hey, so have Thomas on this show. Oh, there so he Thomas, is. what have you been doing lately? Uh, what have you been up to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Cowboy Rob definitely confirmed that I made the right call when I decided. No, I'm not going to bring my mediocre Venom impression on as a witness. <laughs> oh, I, I had never seen those Venom movies, so when we're watching that deleted scene, I'm like, "What the hell is this?" Oh yeah, awful I. I had to clean the theater for that movie so much. All of the ushers at our theater and some of us managers, we all basically picked a character and memorized their lines because we <laughs> saw that mid credit scene so often. So we would hear it. We could kind of hear it down the hall and you'd just suddenly have two ushers doing all the lines with the movie. All right, let's hear most- Let's hear the Venom impression. You got to do it. Okay. Eddie. We are drunk. Let's score skinny dip. <laughs> it's pretty good. Hey, pretty all good. Right, I like it. It's no, I understand why you don't want to do it because it's not quite as good as my cowboy Rob, but like, um, <laughs> no, that is a spot I, on cowboy. I don't Rob. think I don't you should. You, you shouldn't that. feel that ashamed about it. Yeah. I I was worried that you were cheating and had multiple people in there with you. No, <laughs> all natural. 
Um, uh, so, so what have you been up to uh, lately? Um, I know you're you're planning on debut of a new podcast. Yeah, so um, I I took a little bit of a break uh, from from this from a lot of different things, uh, partially due to the fact that I discovered that COVID makes me pass out while I'm driving. Um, Not good. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at some point. Alex and I would like to bring. Uh, the show that we do, Movies After Work Back, um, but it's all contingent on on his work life right now. So I'm trying, I've been developing and I'm hoping to get started here, uh, Perpetual Cinema, which is going to be my new podcast where I bring on a, a panel each episode and we discuss an aspect of the film industries. Things like, does the, you know, do the Oscars actually matter? Does the Ooh, no. does the rating system yeah, no. need to be updated? Um, yes. yes, I mean no. Wait, wait, I forgot. <laughs> I Just, think PG thirteen uh, should have eight to ten seconds of full frontal nudity. The kids got to learn it sometime. <laughs> eight to ten seconds, eleven in your. And that's easy for parents to skip well, at home. Seven, <laughs> seven seconds. That's PG. But yeah, it's just it's uh, creating a show that not necessarily is talking about the movies themselves, but kind of how the the industry is working behind the scenes to either help or hurt it. I volunteer to come on with how CGI is killing us all. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'll take I'll take that debate. You think I won't debate Maynard about CGI? <laughs> like. We'll argue I, about anything. <laughs> I, I I don't doubt for a second that I'll, I'll be doing some sort of show about the, the state of visual effects right now. Well, mm. it's weird that they've kind of regressed. Remember how good everything looked in Life of Pi? And then that company went bankrupt and they disappeared. And then you get movies like Black Panther that look like a PS2 game. What's happening? Well, it's it's the it's the treatment of the visual effects industry. I and mean, we, mm. we all started to notice it when, you know, they cut to commercial in the middle of the acceptance speech for the visual effects crew that had just gone bankrupt uh, for life of Pi. But it's, I mean, we've, we've been talking about it a lot lately with, with Marvel and, and their situation, but we also know that James Cameron is not only incredibly abusive to visual effects artists, the same way that he is with anyone else within five feet of him. Um, <laughs> but you know, they's also constantly taking credit for their work and undermining the importance of their job. Uh, so it's, there's, they're more rushed, you know, where you had movies mm. like Jurassic Park, where they had a long stretch of time to make these amazing looking dinosaurs. You get movies like Jurassic World Dominion, where they're given a much shorter span of time to create giant locusts and, and, copy and paste the dinosaurs back into the movie uh, um, hey let's do a mini reels of justice for that one guilty guilty, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> i just don't know uh, if i can vote any movie with a dilophosaurus guilty yeah you keep saying that it makes more sense now that there's movies with it was great in life of pie dilophopie here's here's the argument for that they upstage it with giant locusts <laughs> Hey, who I either like are this. who either are or aren't eating crops by made by a company, depending on which five seconds of that, which side of the five seconds you're on. None of my problems with that movie involve its visual effects at all. No, <laughs> it, you, it, there's so many to get to before the visual effects. But... It's the cherry on top, though. Yeah, it's so. Um, uh, are are you working on episodes now, or are, should we look for this for in a few months' time? Should we be checking our emails for invites? So the 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 status right now is literally just I I went to go get this all put back together and discovered that the system the um, podcast system that I use drastically changed their distribution system. So now I have to sit here and reach out to like fifteen or twenty different um, services to get them to say yeah we'll we'll connect to your your account and if you publish an episode we'll put it on our server because right now it'll only go on spotify and that's great if i want people to listen to just the first two minutes of the episode but i want people to listen to the entire episode so Mm. Hmm. once i get that figured out yeah i'll be i'll be reaching out to 
to anyone that I know and, and begging on my hands and knees for them to, to humor okay. me for a while. That will be there. Uh, as long as you Absolutely. beg us. Uh, um, and, but uh, everyone, I think you're at perpetual cinema. Yes. I'm at perpetual cinema on Twitter. So follow at perpetual cinema so that you can keep all the live updates of uh, Thomas's begging. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Thomas, we, we always have our guests uh, uh, give us a recommendation for a movie that you think people should see. So what is a movie that you think people should see? Well, I personally think that if you really want to watch a movie that's all about living in the nostalgia of the past where people are clearly not learning from anything that they're doing, you really need to watch The Atomic Cafe. Oh, now, The cool. Atomic Cafe is this uh, phenomenal documentary made by uh, Kevin and Pierce Rafferty and uh, Jane Loader, where they document the creation of the atomic bomb. But with it, no interviews, no narration, it's entirely based from um, news, milita- news and military footage and reels, um, educational shorts, even some children's shorts uh, with an incredibly... Um, one of the biggest earworm songs that I've ever known in my life. Um, but it's this, um, it's absolutely amazing to kind of see where people's mindset was before they realized the full level of the aftermath destruction that the atomic bomb would cause. I they should have just asked Oppenheimer. Well, yes. Um, (laughs) Well, it's more about like the effects of radiation, right? So like during A-bomb testing, they would just hop out of bunkers and run into the fallout and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's all stock footage. It's, it's an amazing documentary. Fantastic pick. It's yeah. There's, it's a weird, almost dark comedy as a result, because it's, you know, that what they're doing is a very, very bad idea, but they're just, you know, the happy fifties, you know, the happy 50 news guy just going now look at them now as they walk right into the mushroom get cloud. Them, boys. Go yeah. bo- but, brush your teeth so, with uranium yeah exactly like that kind of stuff going on in it um so it's it's a really it's a really cool one uh, if you find it on blu-ray they take a lot of the um the footage that's in the movie and they give you the unedited so you get the unedited you know duck and cover at PSA you get uh, newsreels in their completion. But uh, if you don't want to go out and buy the Blu-ray, the movie is available on Tubi and on Plex right now. So Awesome. Uranium awesome. face wash will give your skin that new clear. <laughs> oh, geez. My face glows. That's so terrible. Why don't you go ahead and get, tell us what your recommendation is. Uh, in preparation for this case, I reviewed a lot of the Spider-Man film franchise, and I want to recommend one of the ones that I think gets the least attention, the one that introduced Andrew Garfield as the titular character, The Amazing Spider-Man from 2012. Admittedly, this is the one that I kind of always forget, too, but re-watching it, I was really entertained by a lot of the lizard fight sequences, which you get a very good dose of and whose effects haven't aged all that poorly uh Reciphons makes for a likable yet detestable villain and i've always liked how the brute strength of the lizard is balanced by the intellect of doc connors obviously andrew garfield is a great casting choice for peter parker even though i don't think we appreciated it at the time too loyal we all were to toby Maguire, and his excellent delivery of amusing quips are front and center I also like that the series uses Gwen Stacy, played by a bleach bond, Emma Stone, rather than Mary Jane Watson, uh, almost as if they expected some kind of cinematic multiverse might be coming in the future. Of course, they didn't. Uh, It's basically (laughs) what you'd want in a Spider-Man film, a lot of kinetic uh, action blended with a good dash of comedy, and that equals a lot of fun in the end. So I'm actually looking forward to revisiting this one again in the future. Uh, a lot more than its sequel, anyway. The Amazing Spider-Man is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and uh, who was our very handsome judge today? It was Big I'm Ben, that incredibly judge. prejudiced bastard. I'm uh, No, no, him. very <laughs> neutral, very neutral down the line. So fucking... Balls and strikes. Ben, Balls and strikes. How about you tell us your really stupid recommendation, <laughs> you jerk? Yeah, I thought you were going to swear less as your uh, resolution. That was that was Maynard. I'm Cowboy Rob, and I'm swearing more. Oh. Yeah, it was all part of the plan. It was all part of the plan. I, I see. I do. I do now finally understand why the judge kept giving me big thumbs up throughout the entire case. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Big Ben, Big Tom. I'd let Maynard have a few of them, but but yeah, no multiverses drive me nuts. Anyway, my recommendation might not seem all that related to No Way Home at first glance, but there are some things it shares in common, and it's absolutely a movie that should be seen, and that's Donnie Darko. Because with a movie as many layers as Donnie Darko has, surely there's something out there for you to identify with, be it the portrait of an awkward high schooler with idiot friends, mental health issues, debates about the nature of morality, discussions about whether destruction is creation, psychological horror, or my favorite of the bunch, mind-bending sci-fi. The whole thing takes place in a parallel universe as the result of time travel. And while none of the layers presented are completely fleshed out, it's structured in a way that it leaves you searching for answers and is therefore infinitely rewatchable, especially with its great performances and stellar soundtrack. It even has an intended bit of comic book connection as people remark that Donnie Darko sounds like a superhero's name. And that is indeed one of the layers presented uh, as the living receiver gets uh, supernatural ability. So if any of these layers I've listed don't sound interesting to you, message us at Reels of Justice Podcast and we'll find the layer that's right for you. Uh, Given the ratings of Kelly's other works, the whole thing kind of comes off as a beautiful accident uh, that comes together. Um, It seems incomplete, yet it seems complete at the same time. And nobody can doubt my commitment to Sparkle Motion. You can find Donnie Darko on HBO Max. I couldn't see anything I'd have in common with that movie. Although in high school, I was best friends with a man in a giant rabbit suit who had died weeks prior. But apart from that... Um, Schlenzo, what is your recommendation? Uh, so what I really liked about No Way Home was seeing Tobey Maguire back in action. Yes, it's nice to get that hit of nostalgia, but sometimes, Ryan, we need to look toward the future. The future of team-ups. And to that end, in the superhero genre, I am recommending Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons. From 2022, this animated feature showcases Batman's son, Damien, teaming up with Superman's son, Jonathan. Superman having a half-Kryptonian, half-human son is an interesting idea, and this isn't even to get into all the history of the fact that Damien Wayne is the son of Talia al Ghul and Bruce Wayne. You can read more about it in the comics, but it is just now making it into some of the new media that's coming out for batman which is really cool so the story is not going to blow any minds but the animation and art direction make it worth your while it is not streaming anywhere for free so support your local library so is toby Maguire one of the super sons he is not no it's a cartoon feature and it's kids doing the voices of them because they're children well so it didn't have anything to do with Maguire. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, right I, okay. my favorite part though no, so that was the transition i liked seeing him in the past but now we had to look towards the future of uh, team-ups which is the kids tenuous at best ryan uh please cleanse our palate with a, a great recommendation oh i thought that was ryan's nickname for the episode tenuous at best ryan luis rodriguez <laughs> Considering it's the prequel to this week's case, my recommendation is my favorite live-action webhead film, 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming. There is something so enjoyable about how light on its feet this is, how it takes periodic jabs at the broader MCU while still carving a path forward to the future. I don't think we're ever going to get a better Peter Parker than Tom Holland, and the cast assembled around him is of a similar caliber. Spider-Man Homecoming is currently streaming on Stars, but you don't have to rush out to subscribe because it's coming to Disney Plus in the near future. Um, yeah, no, Homecoming is, is definitely one of my favorites. Um, but with that, we are all out of show, but we want to thank our guest Thomas Green for joining us. Thank you so much, Thomas. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, always fun to be on the show. Uh, it was awesome having you back, Tom. We're going to T-Money. T-Mobile. T-Mobile. T- <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna follow you at perpetual cinema on twitter uh and we'll, we'll have our eyes out for the first episode which we know will be out uh soon and when we are when one is we'll have you back on too uh to brag Absolutely, about it yeah yes and uh and we look forward to it especially the cgi conversation and yeah. we know that everyone else uh will join us again as well as the reels of justice keep turning count it webs Please follow us on Twitter at Reels of Justice, Instagram Reels of Justice, and Facebook.com slash Reels of Justice.